0: good evening guys it's great to be with you tonight um if we haven't met before my name is robin and thank you so much mitch as well for leading us in prayer for me at the start I really appreciate that. And I don't take that for granted. And one of the reasons why it's so important is because, um, every time we open up God's word, we are, we are hearing from God. And I'm in some sense just a messenger of God's word as we read it together. So, um, let me encourage you tonight to be active in having your Bibles open. Uh, I noticed this with our first two services today that there's that are, there are lots of different Bible verses and different Bible passages that will come at you tonight. I don't have them on the screen. I'm sorry about that. I've been on holidays this week, and so I haven't been able to get everything done that I would like to do. So help me out and help yourself out by having your Bible open and flicking to the passages as we do it. Um, it is a hard topic to think about the saved, the lost, and the wandering, and what Jesus has to say about that in his word. And so uh, would you again pray with me as we look at this? Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come before you tonight, we do... Um, Pray that you might bring joy to our souls. We pray that you would bring wisdom to our minds. We pray that you might bring peace to our hearts, especially as we consider our friends and family, some of whom are following you and some of whom are not. And so we pray that you might be with us as we look at your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you going to be doing next Saturday? I don't know. I know that the footy's not on, so I'm not really sure people do these days on Saturdays. Voting. Maybe boating. Voting. That, oh, voting. Yes, that's right. That's next weekend, isn't it? I actually, I actually just realized that I have a funeral to do in Sydney on all next Saturday, so I don't know when I'm going to have time to vote. Can I do that in a... You know, I can do it. Thank you. All right. That's. This is going to go really well on the sermon audio tonight. Anyway. Um, but... Chances are you've got some idea of what it is you're going to be up to next Saturday, whether it's voting, gardening, surfing, or sleeping in. But what about on the 20th of July next year? What are you going to be doing on that on that day? Or what about the year after that? What are you going to be doing on that day? What are, what are you going to be doing on the, on the 10th of June, say, 2,120? Our time will have come and gone by then, won't it? Other people are going to be living in our houses. Other people are going to be here in this church. But what are, what are we going to be doing? What is it that we will be doing? For some people, answering that question is impossible because there is no such thing as us in the future. We won't exist anymore. Our atoms will deteriorate and become dust. But I think most of us don't really think that way. We know that there is, in some sense, more to life than what we have now that the future, even a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now, is a real possibility, not just for other people, but also for us. What is in store for us? And the Bible takes this view as well, that there is a future in store for us as as people have been created in the image of God. And And Christians have often spoken about the future as something in which that the Um, that, that we are all heading to a very specific moment in time when God will bring an end to this world and usher in his eternal kingdom, that a day is coming when God will bring an end to what we see and experience today and that will begin the start of his new kingdom. But there's also a warning because we're told that when that day happens, not only will some go into his eternal kingdom, but others will enter into everlasting destruction. And so the future is all of a sudden really, really serious. This isn't just about which country you're going to live in. Our eternal future is on the line. So I want to show you some examples of where we find this in the Bible. So Acts chapter 17 is one. So Acts chapter 17, verse 31, we read that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed, who is Jesus. So we know there's a day coming that will be when God will judge the world and he will do it perfectly. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20, right near the end of the Bible, we're told that on that day, the books are opened and anyone whose name is not found to be in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. So it's really serious stuff. And we're also, as we listen to Jesus in the Gospels, um, we come across things like this. So Luke chapter 14, if you're still keeping up, Luke chapter 14. We read that someone came up to Jesus once and asked him what I think is a really important question. Someone came up to Jesus, Luke 14 verse 23, and said, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Is that a question that you've wondered, perhaps, as well? Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? How did Jesus respond? Verse 24, Jesus said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. That's sobering stuff, isn't it? Because if this is true, then it makes sense that there is nothing more important for you or for me, for any of us, to make sure that we are ready for that day. The day is coming. Will we enter through the narrow door that leads to salvation? Will our names be found to be in the book of life? What will Jesus say to us on that final day when he sees us? Will he say, come in, good and faithful servant, receive your inheritance? Or will he say to us, turn away from me, I never knew you. It really is that important. Maybe you've asked yourself that question in the past or maybe someone has asked you that question. But as a parent, for me, this question becomes so much more urgent when I think about my kids and I think about my kids and will they follow in in our footsteps? Will they follow in my footsteps? I, as a firm believer in the Lord Jesus, my trust is in him. I know that when I follow Jesus and my trust is in him for salvation, then I'll be able to walk through the narrow door. That's what the gospel promises to us. But I think about the little footsteps of those who come after me. Will my children enter through the narrow door or will they walk toward the broad door? This is a really important thing for us as parents to think about. Not only is there, as as parents, not only is there the kind of physical responsibility of, of putting food on the tables, of paying for education, of looking after our kids all the way through adulthood and beyond. On top of that, God gives to us as parents a responsibility of nurturing our children in faith. And let me tell you, when you're holding a little child in your hands for that first time and you look at their bright eyes and you hold their tiny soft hands and you look to your, at your spouse and you realize that you're never going to sleep in ever again, as all these waves of emotion go over you, there's also that feeling of recognition that my life will never be the same again and that the responsibility that God has given to us as parents is enormous. We do everything we can to protect our children. And so recognizing that there is a day ahead of us, a judgment day, there is nothing that us as parents, Christian parents, want more than for our children to walk toward the narrow door behind us. And of course their children and their children after that. Which means that as a as a parent, you end up living your life trying to do the very best you can to show the way to the narrow door. So when with kids are little and if you're fortunate enough here tonight to have had Christian parents, you may have had this experience, but when your kids are little, you, you make sure you tell them that God loves them, that God's their creator. He's the one who's made the universe, and he knows them. And that one day, in hopefully in a long time from now, that God, your Heavenly Father, will call you home, and he'll call you home through the narrow door. And then you'll tell them all about Jesus, how Jesus died to save them, and that there's nothing more important in the whole world than for them to place their trust in Jesus. And so you bring your children to church, you worship with them, you pray with them, you read the Bible with them, and you remind them that it doesn't really matter how, how good they are at sport or how much money they earn in their career or how many kind of you know, times they get in trouble with the law. There is nothing more important or joyful than following Jesus. And that's what we do as Christian parents. We're conscious of the future and we're conscious of our responsibility and we try to balance that as best we can in raising our kids. And that's why there is nothing more distressing. I, I think that's right. I know it's a bit like, it sounds like hyper- hyperbole, but I think it's right. I think there's nothing more distressing for a Christian parent than to see their children walk away from faith. And yet this does happen. This does happen. Um, I was, um, and, and we see this in, in scripture as well as in our own experience. Uh, This week I've been um, going back to the book of 2 Chronicles. don't know if any of you have gone through that recently in your Bible reading. But one of the things about 2 Chronicles is it lists the story of the kings of Israel and Judah. And so sometimes you get these good kings and they turn back to God and they get rid of the idolatry that's going on in the land and the king leads God's people in God's ways. And you think, great. And then the very next phrase tells us about their son who came after them, who turned away from God and turned away. And in between those two verses, for me, as I read that, is heartbreak. It must be heartbreaking for these parents to lead God's people in the way of salvation, only to have their very children walk in a different direction right after them. So this is something that we do see in scripture, but we also see it around us. And it raises some questions about salvation and faith. And as you know, this series, the topic of this series is thinking about what what the bible has to say about certain topics and this was one that came up a few times particularly about um, salvation and faith and wondering whether if you were saved as a child does it mean that you are always saved for example if you followed jesus when you were little can you really fall away doesn't jesus kind of always hold on to us the whole time and if you walk away from faith can you come back and so I want us to think about this now. Firstly, can you fall away from salvation? And secondly, how do we help those who are wandering away? And it may or may not be your children that you have in mind. It could be your mates. It could be your friends. It could be people in church who you used to worship with. How do we help those who seem to be wandering at the moment? But first of all, can you fall away from your salvation? The Bible speaks regularly to us of how being saved is a work of God in our life. Being saved is a work of God in our life. Now, I know that often when we think about coming to faith and putting our trust in Jesus and receiving salvation, we often think of that from a human point of view of what we do, that we have decided to commit our life to Jesus. We've made a decision to follow Christ. And these things are right from our perspective. But the Bible takes a bigger view. The Bible's view is that even as we make these decisions, we have to acknowledge that this decision is only made possible because of the work of God in our life. God actually begins this work to enable us to make these commitments. Let me show you some examples. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Romans 8, a great chapter of the Bible. But notice what it says in verse 30. It says that, and those God predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified, that is to make right with him. And those he justified, he also glorified. Do you notice who is doing the doing there? It is God. God predestines, God calls, God justifies, God glorifies. This is like links in a chain that are all connected together. And the story of from, from God predestining us to glorifying us in eternity, what this shows us is that every single part of it depends on Him. It depends on Him. And if any of these links depended on us, then the whole chain would fall apart. I want you to notice as well how this topic or this idea comes up in Acts chapter 13. So turn to me to Acts chapter 13. It's actually a good one. If you if you haven't been following through the verses, tr- see if you can turn to this one. Um, Acts chapter 13, uh, especially verse 48. But here in, in this part of the story, what we see is uh, Paul and Barnabas are sharing the gospel with a huge crowd of people. They're in the middle of a city and there's people from all over the world there. There are Jewish people there. There are Greeks. It didn't matter where you came from or where you grew up. This was an opportunity that Paul and Barnabas took to explain to you who Jesus was. And as they proclaimed the gospel, what happened was some people believed and others didn't. So verse 48 tells us this and describes it this way. When the Gentiles, Gentiles are people who are not Jewish, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. And they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed For eternal life, believed. Do you notice those words there? All who were appointed for eternal life believed. Who is doing the appointing? Well, it is God. What this is telling us is that God had chosen some people from within this city to hear the gospel and to respond with faith, to respond with belief. And what this means as well is that when the gospel goes forward, what we recognize is that not everybody is affected in the same way when the gospel is preached. Some will respond in faith and others will respond in, well, all kinds of other ways. If you're a scripture teacher, you definitely know what I mean. And this is the way that it turns out. God must be the one to take away the veil from our eyes He must be the one to enable our hearts to believe. And what we read here is that God appoints people to faith. Even though from our perspective and even the people in this city who were glad and honoring the word of the Lord and committing their life to following Jesus, from their perspective, they were saying, I choose Christ. I choose Christ, I commit, I'm walking to the front of the church, walking to the front of the synagogue, I'm choosing Jesus to follow. From their point of view, they were the actor. But when we go to the Word of God, we see that the ultimate cause of this was their Heavenly Father who brought them to Him. It was His sovereign choice. And that means, even for us today as well, that our faith begins with God's work in our heart. Isn't that truly amazing, by the way? I mean, to think that your faith, the faith that we share, our trust in Jesus, is evidence of God acting in our life. That should truly amaze us. How gracious is God to enable us to put our faith in Christ? Notice as well that Jesus talked about this with his own disciples With his own disciples in John 15, he tells them that they didn't choose him, he chose them, and chose them that they might go and bear fruit. Now, once you hear of this idea, you actually can see it on many different levels and different parts of the Bible. So, for example, if you're jotting down notes, you might like to look these verses up later. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we're told, in chapter 1, verse 4, rather, we're told that God chose us in Christ. Before the creation of the world. Isn't that amazing? God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. So before the universe came into existence, God chose us to be found in Christ. Well, how about this one? Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul reminds people to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. All this to say that this golden chain of God, this idea of him predestining, calling, justifying and glorifying, all of this comes from him and it is effective. Those he calls are the ones he justifies. Those he appoints to believe, believe. But here's the thing. If God's call is so truly effective, why is it that we see some people who seem to fall away from faith? Have you ever wondered that? If God's call is so effective, so irresistible, why do some people start the journey and not seem to finish? And Not only that, Why are there warnings in the Bible to us about not falling away? Why would there be warnings if we can't fall away? So, for example, Hebrews chapter 6, that's another one worth turning to. Hebrews chapter 6, we're told that it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, the powers of this coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. I mean, as you read that, it first of all suggests to us that there were people who did believe who also can fall away. So who are these people that the author of Hebrews is referring to? He describes his people as those who have tasted, as participating in the life of the church. They are people who found themselves in the family of God. They were the ones who lived with us. They worshiped with us. They said their prayers with us. They were part of us. And it seems that, in the case of some at least, they fell away. Here's where we need to remember that being called by God and being justified by God, ultimately being saved by God, it's made visible in our life by our perseverance. This is so important. Our call from God, our justification from God, our ultimate salvation from God is made visible in our perseverance. We as Christians are called to persevere in faith and to walk with the God who is preserving us for the journey. The other side of the coin is that there may be some people amongst us who walk with us for a while, but not ultimately until the end and who ultimately demonstrate that they were not called by God. But the only way that we can humanly know whether someone is called by God is whether they persevere in faith to the end. That's our human perspective. We don't have God's perspective. From our perspective, the litmus test is perseverance in faith to the very end. And that means, folks, for you and I as Christians, we should not be complacent, should we? about our faith or the journey that's ahead of us. What will we be doing in one week or next year or in 10 years from now? Will we still be walking with the Lord? I remember I, I remember when I was in Bible study as a, as a teenager, we had one guy who was super enthusiastic about following Jesus. So enthusiastic, in fact, that he took us to two different churches on one day. <laughs> we went to one church in the morning and went to a different church night, St. Barnabas in, in the city, if you, ever, if you know that one there. And, uh, and he was so keen, so enthusiastic, but a few years later, I found out that he'd walked away from his faith altogether. I had one person in church many years ago who, again, was really enthusiastic about coming to church, was joining in, singing, all this kind of stuff, praying, was part of a Bible study group. And all of a sudden, she started giving away all of her Christian books. She said, oh, I've just got too many of them now. I just want to share them with others. I didn't, I was just like, sweet, free books, right? <laughs> Little did I know that that was just the beginning of her journey away from God. We know these stories. These people have lived amongst us and walked amongst us. But what about you? Are you ready to stay Christian for the long term? Other times I've talked to people and I've said to them, mate, are you a Christian? And sometimes people say things like this. Well, I was Christian when I was a baby or I did confirmation or my parents taught me a lot about Jesus or I went to a Christian school or I teach at a Christian school. And I say, In my better moments, I ask them, well, what about now? Are you a Christian now? Sometimes they say, yeah, of course. And sometimes they're not so sure. Here's the thing. If your assurance of salvation looks back to the past, to a box that you have ticked once upon a time, rather than to Jesus today, it's possible that you're putting your hope in the wrong thing and may, in fact, not be walking toward the narrow door. God is not interested in your certificate or what school you went to or your career as as much as he is about your heart before Christ today. That is the important thing. It's not simply how much you learnt about God as a child, but about your relationship with Christ now. But this is where it gets tricky too, do you feel it? Because not all of us have journeys of onward, upward before the Lord. If you're anything like me, there's sometimes there are like little dips in the journey or long detours, valleys. What happens when you go through these things as a Christian? Does that mean you're not a Christian at that point in time? Well, let me tell you, it can happen to anyone. I was reading a little book this year uh, by a pastor called Frank Ratif, who was in South Africa. And uh, he was part of a vibrant and growing church. God was doing incredible things through this church. It's an amazing story if you look it up. But then one day, as everything seemed to be going so well, Frank, who was the pastor of the church, said that he woke up on a Sunday, I think it was a Sunday, and he said it felt like someone had just switched off the spiritual light inside of him. And he said that in that moment, it felt like everything became dark. It felt like God had gone far away and even though he was able to kind of keep like following christ as best he could he felt that it was a season of despair for him of darkness but he said at the end it came back it took a few months but the spiritual light was turned back on and that season reminded him of his own weakness and frailty and his need to keep relying on God, all of us can have spiritual valleys that we walk through. There are though, for others, different seasons that we that we end up going through. Seasons that, uh, where we wander a long way from our spiritual home. And I think that when we think about our friends who aren't following Jesus, this is the category that they're probably most likely to be in, especially if they used to be in church. Um, but Jesus also spoke about this too. Do you remember the, the, um, the story that Jesus spoke about, the, the parable of the prodigal son? It's a very famous parable that Jesus spoke about. And in this parable, Jesus talks about a man, a father, who had two boys. And it seemed like these boys had a great upbringing, as far as you can tell. Um, they did fine for themselves and to family life was good. In a sense, they were the ones who were growing up in the family of God. But then we're told that one of these boys gets, uh, gets itchy feet and he demands his inheritance from his dad early, which must have been a very awkward conversation, of course. But he takes his inheritance early and then he runs away from home. He goes to a distant country. He prefers to be have life away from his family. And in the distant country, we're told that he squanders all his money and ends up homeless and broke and hungry. And it's right there at rock bottom that he decides that he needs to come back home. And he does so. He comes back from the distant country all the way back home. And he finds a great celebration from his dad, who explains to the other son who'd been there the whole time that it is a good thing to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And here is the lesson for us. Sometimes, sometimes people have grown up in the family of God, have worshipped with us, have prayed with us, have learnt alongside us, and they wander away still. They get spiritually itchy feet, they have enough of it, and they go to a distant country. Sometimes they want to just try out the world. What do they find? Is it better? No, it's not. And sometimes it is through trying that out that they come to their senses. And that can happen with people in our own church family, or maybe even part of our own families. People grow up with the gospel, and for whatever reason, they begin to wonder. This doesn't mean that for them there is no hope, but it does mean that they need to return if they're going to walk through the narrow door with us. Do you know people like that? Do you have people like that in your life? People that you can picture, people that you pray for, people that you love. Well, that brings us to the second part, which is what do we do with them? What do we do with our mates, our family members who are wandering away? What do we do? I want to give four suggestions, I guess, for what we can do as a church family together and also as individuals Firstly, we need to be really honest about it. The Bible is clear that those whom God calls will also persevere to the end by God's grace. We've got to be honest, first of all, with where our loved ones are at with God. And let me tell you, that can be the most difficult thing for us to do. It really can Because if it's someone that you really love, if it's someone that you're really close to, if they're wandering away, just think of the implications of that. That can be heartbreaking, so painful. To think that unless they repent and come back home, they're going to be lost. To think about how if they don't come back to Jesus, if they don't persevere in faith, to so think about how that will demonstrate that they have not been truly called by God. That is such a hard thing for us to think about. We don't want to go there. I understand. And yet we have to come to terms with how things really are if we are going to help them properly. I think that's so important. So we actually have to enter into pain in order to help them. Um, and that's, that's a decision that we've got to make. Are we ready to do it? Are we ready to face things honestly so that we can help them properly? There's nothing more alarming than for us to think that our loved ones are in danger. We want them to be okay so it's easier not to open up that box. It can hurt so much. But we must face this truth head on together. The second thing uh, that we need to do or could do, as these are suggestions, is to be really hopeful as well. The lost son who went to a distant country, came back. He came back. Friends, it's such an extraordinary privilege to hear God's word, to have God's word read, to try to understand it together. To, it's such an extraordinary privilege to come to church and to sing, to worship, to bring your sin before the Lord and to hear the absolution. To hear these things and to participate in these things is an extraordinary privilege. That is ours. We've tasted in the heavenly gift. And if you've grown up in a Christian family, then you've been truly blessed to have these things as part of your life, to pray with your parents. And here's the thing. Even as we think about our loved ones who have wanted, we do not know what God still might do in their life. You do not know how God might still surprise you. Do not lose hope. There are countless stories of people who have prodigaled their way through life, who have left the the spiritual family and gone to the world and come back. It's not a guarantee, of course, but there are many stories of people who have done exactly that. Some of you here tonight may well have had that particular and specific experience in your own life and can testify to that. There are people who have long seasons away from the Lord before returning, which means, brothers and sisters, as we think about our loved ones, remember that the time that you spent in Bible study with them, the time that you went over to their house and prayed with them, the time that you went and sat next to them in church was not wasted. Those seeds you planted might just need more time to grow again. My sister was one of them. My sister grew up with me in church. My mum and dad dragged us kicking and scoffing and screaming to church. No doubt we would have much preferred to do other things like watch the cartoons on telly, which is what was happening back then. I was one. <laughs> yeah. There are many times in our life when we could have gone a different way, but people dragged us and kept us going. And so me and my sister, well, we were there. In church together, from the outside, no one knew the difference between us. We were both there, kids in church growing up. But then, as we got older, my sister wandered away. She was in a Bible study. She was in her own, doing her own thing, and then, for whatever reason, she left. But then, in God's kindness, after some time, she came back home. She came back home to the Lord. And you know what? (laughs) She brought a whole family with her as well, her husband and all the girls. Don't give up hope for what God still might do in the life of your loved ones. We also know as well that as people get older, they often end up going back to their memories of their childhood and return to their faith. This is a true thing. In the parable of the prodigal son, Remember the father is waiting for his son to return home. He sees his son from a distance, he's expectant, and he has his arms open and he's full of compassion. If God is like that towards those who are wandering, should we be any less expectant? No. So be hopeful. Thirdly, be heartfelt. Now in our church we often Uh, talk about how important it is to share our faith with others and of course we do we know it is the the word of eternal life and so we want to share jesus but sometimes the most difficult thing to do is to share jesus with people in our family who are not persevering in faith who are not christians anymore and maybe i'm sure in fact i'm I'm convinced that you've already tried that a few times with with your family members or your mates and you know what you've tried once twice three times maybe hasn't worked in fact, maybe it's, it's caused an argument, it's caused an issue. And so in order to keep the peace, you end up keeping silent. Do you know what I mean? Um, I understand that. But I also want to say that there will be moments where you need to use your voice, where you need to speak up, where you need to tell the people in your life that you love them and that you have something that you need to share. And when that moment arrives, you need to open your heart to them. Um, tell them that you're worried about them. Tell them that you pray for them and tell them that you want them to come home to the Lord and that there's always a place for them in the family of God with you. Remind them that they're always welcome to come back and that you care for them. What you choose to do in that moment may well be the sign that God uses to steer them back home. Wonder... um, if you let me share one more story from that little book I read early this year from Frank Retief. and he tells this story about how um, he was in church once, and there was a lady who came, and she only came to church once, only came to church once, and this was a really good church at collecting details, <laughs> and they collected this lady's details, and um, and they they were they they want they um, they they followed her up. But she didn't respond to the invitation, and so they let that go. But then the minister got a call from uh, from the family to say that this lady had had a heart attack that week and was now unresponsive. And uh, the family did what the family normally does in those sorts of moments. They gathered together, and even though the lady at that time was unconscious, um, the pastor and the pastoral team that were there with the family um, shared the gospel. They got them and they thought, well, we're going to share the gospel anyway. I've got these people. We need to tell them about Jesus. And so they shared the gospel and amazingly, the whole family made a commitment to Jesus together in that hospital room. The next day, they got the call that the woman had woken up and she wanted to speak with someone from the church. And so they went back there and she said that she had heard every word from that conversation, even though she was kind of unconscious. She'd heard every word and in her mind had repeated every word as well. And she said, please confirm my faith in Jesus. And of course, everyone was very excited to hear about that. But then the very next day, she died suddenly. The very next day, And Frank writes that as that took place, great shock and awe struck the whole pastoral team, since not only was she saved just in time, but her whole family as well. The history of the church is full of stories just like this. Who knows what God still might do in the life of your loved one, but use the opportunities that God puts before you to share your faith um, with all your heart. So we've heard to be honest. We've heard that we also need to be heartfelt and that we also need to be hopeful. Finally, we need to be human beings. We need to be human about this. Remember, you are not God. I know you know that. <laughs> but sometimes we're so desperate in order to save, we think that we can do it in our own strength. We can't. We are not God. God calls, God saves. God does not give us the responsibility of election, but he gives to us the privilege of sharing the gospel. And so do everything you possibly can to obey the God who has called you. And God has called us to be people who raise our families in the instruction of the Lord. God has called us to share the gospel with our friends and family. And that means what are we going to do for those who are wandering far from their spiritual home well, let us make sure that we do everything we can humanly possibly can to pass on the gospel to the next generation. Statistically, we know as well that, um, families that have the ro- most robust and strongest faith are those that come to church every week and not just like every second week. I mean, every week. And it, it, that's a, that's a, from a human point of view, that's one of the most effective things you can do to help consolidate and solidify your spiritual journey with God. If you look back on your own life, perhaps through seasons when you had begun to wonder, I'm going to guess that's at the same time that you started to spend time away from church. So don't spend time away from church. Recognize it as one of the important graces that God uses to strengthen your faith for the long haul. And it also goes both ways as well, because when you decide to make this decision to build your life around God, to set your sights on the narrow door, when you build your life in this way, worship amongst God's people is the most natural thing to do. It truly does become the thing that you most look forward to each week, to gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ to worship the Lord, to bring your sin before him, to hear your forgiveness announced and declared from the front, to hear the word of God read and to have people pray for you, to enter into this moment. It makes perfect sense when your life is built around God and you're heading toward the narrow door of salvation. And when you live like that, you know who notices? Your loved ones. The people around you pay attention They see this and they sense this. This is what they learn. So don't lose sight as well of the power of your own decisions. The choices that you make teach your children and your mates what truly matters. So keep coming to church. And of course, when you go home, talk, instruct and pray and live the life that God has called you to. So let me summarize. Be honest with those who are wondering. Be hopeful. Be heartfelt and be human. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, tonight we want to bring before you our friends and our family who are wandering right now. Maybe some of them have spent time with us here in church, but we pray for them. We pray that you might touch their hearts. We pray that they might return from the distant country back to their spiritual homes. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might be gracious to them and give them faith. Lord, we also pray tonight for anyone here who is here in physically but may not be here spiritually. We pray that they too might return to Christ. We do pray that you might give to them the gift of faith. But for each one of us, as we seek to follow you, as we seek to build our life around you, as we keep our eyes fixed on the narrow door of salvation, we pray that you might give us patient persistence to follow the Lord Jesus, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.